Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. So today we are going to be continuing our series on the pursuit of God's promise. To be continuing our series on what it means to really know that God does have a word that He has spoken that He has given us the gift of His Word through the Bible, but also in, in the places where He speaks promises into our lives. And we started looking at this last week as we looked through the life of Noah. And one thing that I hope that we recognize is that when we read, when we read the story and the account of Noah, that it is not just a kid's story. Did you guys pick up on that last week? It's not just a cute story that you have the, the, the ark that is built and the animals that come on two by two, that it is a story of incredible obedience. It's a story of God's word being spoken and obedience even in the time of contradiction. I love the story because when God speaks to Noah and the world is in such a bad place that God is going to wipe everything away, it says that he sees Noah and that Noah is a righteous man. That Noah is one that God looks at and says, this is the one that I'm going to continue the lineage of heaven through here on earth. And it says that Abraham was obedient. He was, or Noah was obedient. Noah was obedient. We're going to talk about Abraham in a moment. But Noah was obedient to what God had called him to do. In spite of the fact that there was no rain, there were no clouds in the sky, there was no threat of anything happening, but Noah continued to believe God. And so today we are going to talk about the life of Abraham because what we see here is a journey of faith. It's a journey where God has spoken a word over this man's life, and yet there are so many things to point to the fact that this is never going to happen, that this is impossible, that there's no way that you're going to see the result that you've been believing for, and yet he continues to believe. And so we're going to start here in Genesis chapter 12, looking at verses 1 through 3. God said to Abram, go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all of the families of the earth will be blessed. To me, this is an incredible statement, but what I've started to pick up on as I'm reading through the Old Testament, as I'm reading through the account of creation and, and God's work through Genesis, is that it is so amazing that the God of the universe, the creator of everything, actually comes and he speaks to man. Isn't that incredible? God comes and he speaks to man and he speaks to Abram and he says, Abram, this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to take you and I'm going to make you into a great nation. And we see that Abraham actually listens to what God has said, which is amazing. But what I just want to look at for a moment is how amazing it is that God spoke to Abram in the first place. You see, God spoke to Noah. He told him to create the ark and to be obedient. And Noah listened. And because of that, there was salvation for mankind. But it had been 10 generations from the time of Noah to the time of Abraham. And so I start to ask the question, what was so special about Abraham? 
What had Abraham been doing all of this time? It had been 75 years of his life. What was going on? And and what were the circumstances surrounding God appearing to Abraham? Maybe why did he wait so long? We start to look at this story and we start to see that God speaks to him and he gives him this incredible promise and this incredible statement. But I wanted to know, what did it sound like? What did it look like? What did it feel like? What was it about this encounter that was so significant in the life of Abram that he was willing to leave everything behind to follow after God? You see, we're not given the details of what this encounter looked like, but what we could say for, for certain is that it must have been impactful because Abram leaves everything behind. And we have to think about this for a second. He leaves everything behind, but it's not like he had, you know, FaceTime to keep in touch with the family that he was leaving. He didn't have social media to keep up on them. There was no text messaging. He was 75 years old. When he was leaving his family, that was it. There, there really wasn't going to be another time he was going to see them. What was it about this encounter that was so significant? On Wednesday night, we mentioned the book called The Celebration of Discipline. And it's written by Richard Foster, and it talks about the disciplines that we as Christians are called to walk in. And he's talking about meditation at one point. And he says, some of you might have questions about meditation and the significance of this and that and and going into some of the the different dynamics of it. But he said, you know what I am curious about and interested in? He said, I am much more interested in the kind of hearing that Abraham, Moses, and Elijah knew, which brought forth radical obedience to the one true God. And to that, I would have to say, amen. Like, what was it? about this experience with God that caused these men to do something that was radical in nature, that caused them to be obedient even when it made no sense. You see, on one level we could say, well, this was an experience with the God of the universe. That in and of itself would have caused change, but I think a lot of times we see people that have encounters with God and there's not necessarily this huge long-lasting change. I would say that even more so than just having an encounter with God, what this was, was the response of creation to the pursuit of the Creator. I would say that in this interaction, there was the understanding that the God of the universe was coming down in pursuit of man. And out of that, Out of the significance and out of the understanding of what God was doing, there was a response that said yes, even when it seemed impossible, even when it didn't make any sense, and even when it was in the midst of great contradiction. I want to ask the question today as we're reading this story. We see this encounter between God and Abram. What has been your encounter? How has God shown up and impacted your life? You know, for some of us, we might look at this story and say, well, I don't really feel like I've ever had an encounter like Abraham. We might look back at our life and say, well, I don't really think that I've had this incredible experience. I mean, some of us have had amazing testimonies where God has brought us through so much. But for some of us, It feels like we are unaware of the encounter of God in our lives because maybe he has moved in such subtle ways 
Maybe it has seemed insignificant at times, and we haven't recognized that God himself has been in pursuit of us. Sometimes what even happens, and I've seen this to be true, is that we even minimize what God has done in the past because what we see in our present doesn't match up with what we expected. We can even minimize the encounter that we had with God in the very beginning that we were so excited about what He was going to do because we look around now and we don't see what what we thought was going to be and so now we start to even reduce what God has done in the past. We have to be aware of this and I've said it before and I'm going to say it again. God is in pursuit of you. Before the foundations of the world. It's not just for Noah. It's not just for Abraham. It's not just for Isaac and Jacob. It's for every single person in this room. Every person watching online. Every person who walks this earth. God is in pursuit of mankind. And we can't minimize what God has done. Because our present doesn't look like what we expected it to look like. But we have to continue to understand that there is a promise that he has made to us. There is a promise. And so we have to ask the question, what has brought us here today? What is the thing that has brought us here today? Not, not just physically speaking, but spiritually speaking, what has God done in our lives? Because I guarantee you, he has intervened in ways that you do not know. That he has opened doors that you didn't see him open. He's closed doors that maybe you didn't see him shut. But God has been working on your behalf and continues to do so. So we continue to read this story. We look at Genesis chapter 12, verses 5 and 7. It says, So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot his nephew went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Verse 6 says that he goes to Canaan, and then we get to verse 7, and it says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I'm going to give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. God continues to pursue. He continues to promise. The first promise he makes is that I'm going to make you into a great nation. The earth is going to be blessed through your descendants. And then he says, This land that you're walking into that is already inhabited, this land I'm going to give to your children, to your descendants. They are the ones that are going to inherit what God is doing and the promise that he had made. And so we see that God continues to speak through Abraham. He speaks to him. He gives him these promises, and and this is all really good. But just because God is walking with Abraham, just because he has made these promises to him, it doesn't mean that everything goes smoothly. It doesn't mean that everything goes the way that he would expect it to go. If we read through the account and we read through chapters 11 and 12 and and we see the decisions that Abraham has made and, and we'll look more at this maybe in the future weeks, but there are times where Abraham, yes, he believes and yes, he's in pursuit of God, but he still has this tendency to do things his own way. I don't know if anyone else can relate to that in here today. But then we get to Genesis chapter 13. And there's another promise that God makes. Genesis 13, verses 14 through 17. God says, lift up your eyes. I want you to look to the north and to the south and to the east and to the west. I'm going to make your offspring as the dust of the earth. So that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. 
arise and walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. God continues to promise. He continues to speak to Abraham. But this is what I want us to see. That even in the place of great promise, even in the place where Abraham is being blessed and his livestock is growing and the the land that they are in is not big enough to be able to contain all that he has, there is still something really important missing out of the equation for Abraham. It doesn't mean that God's not there. God is continuing to bless. He's continuing to speak. But there is something that appears to be missing. Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 1, says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. He said, Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. To which Abraham says, Yeah, that's all well and good. But you promised that I was going to be the father of many nations. You promised that that through my descendants the world was going to be blessed. You promised that I was going to obtain this land through my children. And yet here I am. I'm childless and the heir of my house. Eleazar of Damascus is the one who's going to get it. Behold, you've given me no offspring. And a member of my household will be my heir. Abraham says, yes, I know what you've promised, but I don't see it. Has there ever been a time in our lives where we have believed what God has said, but we look around and say, God, where is it? Where is the fulfillment of what you've promised? Where is the manifestation of the word that you have spoken? I know that you have spoken something, but I just can't see it. But I love what God says because he doesn't even correct him, but he does say that this man shall not be your heir, Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look towards heaven. Stop looking at the problem. Stop looking at what's not there. Look towards heaven. And he brought him and he said, look at number the stars. Because if you're able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. He doubles down on the promise. He says, Abram, I know what you see. But would you be willing to look up? And to see what I am showing you. Will you be willing to take your eyes off of the contradiction? Off of the thing that seems to say that there is no way for the promise to become true. Will you look at me because I am speaking. I am showing you something. And you know what Abraham does? Exactly that. Because the next verse, verse 6, is one of the most powerful scriptures that we will find in all of the Bible. It says, and he believed God... And he counted it to him as righteousness. In the midst of what seemed to be impossible, Abraham continued to believe God. In the midst of what could not happen in his physical body, in Sarah's physical body, he believed God. You see, it's so important for us to understand that in the times of contradiction, in the times where we want to ask God, do you even know what I'm going through? Do you know what I'm feeling? Do you know who I am? Do you know my shortcomings? Do you know these things? To look at him and to say, but God, I still am going to trust in what you have said. You see, the thing about contradiction is that it's always going to be present when God speaks contradiction is always going to be present in that when God speaks the word, the world around us is not going to be in agreement with his truth. 
there are times where God's word is actually the thing that is going to produce the contradiction. We're going through life. Everything seems to be going at least the way that we kind of want it to, not up to perfection, but it's like, hey, things are going well. And then God speaks the word and it's like, no, I have better for you. And all of a sudden, everything that at one point looked really good now has a question mark around it. All the things that we've accepted to be true about our lives up to that point now have to be questioned because they are now being compared to the truth of what God has spoken. You see, in the times of contradiction, we can either grow discouraged or we can return back to the promise. In the times of contradiction, we could choose to believe what the circumstance is saying or to look back to God and say, God, what are you saying? Because sometimes the contradiction is the very thing that shows us that we're going in the right direction in the first place. There should be contradiction in our lives in the places that we have asked God for things because if everything seems to just be happening the way that we want it to, I'm very happy for you. However, God has more for you. God is always in pursuit of his children. And what he has for us is always going to be bigger. It's always going to be more significant. And it's always going to look way harder than we have the ability to comprehend. Because it can't be in us. It has to be in him. Verse 6, and he believed God and he counted it to him as righteousness. These words aren't just spoken here. They speak through eternity. We look to the New Testament and Paul and James write about this in the gospel of, uh, now in, in the book of Galatians and the book of Romans and the book of James. They explain even further what this means that Abraham believed God. And I think that the, that the amazing part about this statement is that it is so simple but yet it's so significant. Abraham believed God, to which we would say, of course you're supposed to believe God. However, if we look at the context of what he was believing for and what he was going through, we see that he was believing God despite what the circumstances said. The result of this statement, the result of the faith of Abraham was that Abram would then be known as the father of our faith. The father of our faith. This is, this when we continue to read and we go to the, the book of Exodus chapter 3, we see this experience of Moses out in the desert. He looks at the burning bush and out of that place, God is speaking to him. And what God says to him is, I want you to go back and tell the Hebrew people that I and the God, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Can I tell you that if God is using you as a reference for who he is, that you have done something really right? God says to Moses, I want them to know that I am real, that I am the one who is calling you to come out of uh, slavery and captivity. And he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That is a significant statement. When we look at this, I have to ask another question. 
Because these words, this decision, this faith of Abraham is not just something that would speak to then, but it would speak to the future and speak to all times. And I want to ask, what is the decision that lies in front of you today that is not just going to speak to today, but is going to speak to the future, that is going to speak to the time to come? What is your promise? What is it that God has promised you? And also, what is the contradiction? What's the thing that's standing in the way? What is it that is coming to show you that, that what God has said cannot happen, it will not happen, and it is not true? Recognize what it is today. But then, here's the final question. What are you going to choose to believe? What are you going to choose to believe? Are you going to believe the promise? Or are you going to fall victim to the contradiction? As we continue to read this story about Abraham, we see that God continues to bless him. The end of chapter 15, there is more of a, a further covenant about the land, about what Abraham's walking into. There's a sacrifice. There's a sealing of this. And then we get to chapter 16. And what I've entitled this section in my notes at least is this. Don't worry, God. I've got this. I don't know if it says that in your Bible as the heading of this chapter, but it should. Don't worry, God. I've got this. Because if you, if you know this story, you know what Abraham's been promised. You know that he does what so many of us do at times. There's a promise. We believe in the promise. But then it doesn't happen when we think that it's supposed to happen. And so we try to do something to help God along in the process. We try to fix it for God. And so we read Genesis chapter 16. We see this, these verses that say that Sarah looks at Abraham and he goes, listen, Abram, this is not really working right now. So what I want you to do is to take my servant, Hagar, I want you to go have a baby with her. And I have to say that of all the stupid decisions that may have been made in human history up to this point, this was one of the worst, if not the worst. I mean, Adam and Eve, yes, we can, we can say that that was the worst. And Abram, what are you thinking? What are you thinking in this moment? Like, your wife comes and says, here, sleep with my servant, and, and what's going to come out of this is going to be the fulfillment of God's promise. And in this, I see so many parallels to the story of Adam and Eve, where God has a promise for what mankind is going to become. And Eve goes and listens to the serpent, and she says to Adam, here, listen, this is what we're going to do, because the serpent said, if we eat the fruit, we're going to have the knowledge of good and evil, and we're going to know the difference, and, and we're going to be like God. God has made us a promise, so now let's take it into our own hands and make it, make it possible. And the results of both of these circumstances are exactly what you would expect them to be. Total failure. Can I tell you that God doesn't need our help to make his promises come to pass? God doesn't need us to come in and to input our own decision making when things don't go the way that we expect it to go. What God needs is our obedience. What God needs is our obedience. Yes, we are part of this process. 
We have a part to play. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. But that also means that there is a level of trust that is supposed to come out of that. Now for Abraham and Hagar, Ishmael is produced out of this, which produces an enemy of God's people, maybe throughout history. We see the decision and and we see what Abraham does, but as we continue through, we see that God still continues to bless Abraham. Chapter 17, God changes his name from Abram to Abraham. He changes Sarai's name to Sarah. He gives them this covenant. It's sealed with the circumcision. Genesis chapter 18, a story that we'll look at next week. This incredible story where God shows up and has friendship with Abraham. Where he reveals to him something amazing. But what I want to get to today is chapters 21 and 22. You see, in all of this, Abram, who became Abraham, has been in a process. He's been in movement both physically but spiritually in the pursuit of God. Things haven't gone the way that he expected, him, expected them to go for much of the time. And yet he still continues to believe. And then we get to Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21 where it says that God did exactly as he had promised. Verses 1 through 3 chapter 21. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him who Sarah bore him Isaac. In the midst of great contradiction. In the midst of a situation that was actually impossible physically speaking. God brought the fulfillment of the promise. God did exactly what he said that he would do. In your lives. In the places where God has spoken a word. In the place where you have stood for many years and what God has said, God is the one who is going to fulfill the promise as he said that he would. As I was doing my devotions this morning, I was just thinking over this story though, and there was just something that I felt like God was really highlighting to me here today. You see, the thing that went before this miracle... The thing that opened the door, it was the faith of Abraham. It was his ability to believe in the promise of God. It was the ability to stand on the truth of what God had said. But ultimately, at the end of the day, as much as Abraham was a man of faith, as much as he was chosen by God, the thing at the very end that was able to bring the fulfillment of the promise was not Abraham's righteousness, but it was the power of God at work in their lives. Now this is so important for us to understand because we absolutely need good theology. We need to know what God has said. We need to study his word. We need to allow it to be alive inside of us. All of these things are so significant. But if we stop short of expecting the miraculous power of God in our lives, if we stop short at just believing for a miracle, but we think that it's just going to happen without understanding that it is the power of the Spirit of God that is going to bring these things to life inside of us, then we are missing what God wants to do. 
There is so much more for us, and we need to know the truth. We need to pursue the promise. We need to stand on it, but I truly believe then we need to stand in expectation of what God is going to do in our lives. I really do believe that we are living in a time where we are going to see miracles. That we are going to see the power of God. When he says that it is not by might, and it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, that we need to be inviting the spirit of God into every situation of our lives. That we need to believe right, we need to act right, we need to do what we know to do, but we need to be inviting His Spirit to be the power that is the power that rose Christ Jesus from the dead, the very thing that is meant to give life to our mortal bodies, the very thing that is meant to change the situation that we are standing in and looking at right now. I don't do this very often, but I just want you to bow your heads in prayer and I'd say I don't pray very often, but in the middle of the message. Father God, I just thank you here today for the miraculous power that you have made possible through what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago. Lord God, as a church right now, we stand and we believe that you are going to move in ways that are unexpected, in greater ways than we could ever imagine, and we invite your power and your spirit into every circumstance that we might be going through right now. In Jesus' name. So we see the power. We see the fulfillment of the promise. Sarah becomes pregnant. Isaac is born. Everything's going well. And everything's going to continue to go well, right? It's going to be really easy from this point forward. Waited 25 years. The promise is fulfilled. And now we get to Genesis chapter 22. It says in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 and 2, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And then God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And the crazy thing is, is that Abraham listens. I I was thinking about this story, and I got to be honest. If I was the one in Abraham's position, I would have Ishmael'd the crap out of this situation. I don't think I intended on saying crap, but hey, here we are. I would have taken every opportunity to give everything I had to God, every goat, every sheep, every cow, every Yankee hat I owned, everything that I held dear, my best friend, anything that I could have to justify and say, okay, God, this is what you were really asking for. There's no way that that you're asking for my only son that I waited all this time to have and you finally fulfilled your promise and now you're asking for me to sacrifice him? I would have found a lot of ways out of it. I would have spiritualized it. I would have rationalized it. But not Abraham. Abraham believed God. It was counted to him as righteousness. He had already made the mistake of trying to do it his own way, and he saw the results of it. And he wasn't going to do that again. He chose to trust. So we get to 22 verses 9 through 12. When they came to the place that God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order 
and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. This was a radical act of obedience. This was a decision to give everything that mattered to him to God. And God was asking for it, but here's the thing. He knew he was going to stop Abraham, but, but God was asking of something that he was willing to do himself. He wasn't asking Abraham to do something that he wasn't willing to do because he knew that there would be a day where he would give his only son to come to this earth and to be sacrificed on our behalf. I told you last week, Jesus is present on every page of this book from beginning to end. Jesus was present from Genesis to Revelation. We didn't even go into Melchizedek here today, but we will. He was present. So Abraham, at this point, he looks over and he sees the ram caught into the bushes and, and this would be the sacrifice. And, and then so he names this place Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Through this act of obedience, he's able to see God in a new way. He's able to see the provision of God. And this decision, this act of obedience is one that would speak for the rest of history. It's one that would result in something we call the blessing of Abraham. See, this is the, the decision that would result in, in Abraham becoming the father of faith because of his faith, because he, he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. But we talk about this term, the father of faith, and do we really think about what it actually means? You see, the father of faith, we can look at as Abraham being the father of the Hebrew people. We could look at it as being the beginning of, of the religion, the faith in, in God as Yahweh. But I think there's actually so much more to it when we look at Abraham being the father of our faith. See, we're very quick to look back to the beginning of time in, in Genesis and to see Adam and Eve and, and to look at that decision that they made and to say that is the reason for our fallen nature, which it is. We look at the decision of Adam and Eve and we see that as the inheritance that unfortunately mankind now walks in. But my question here today is why are we so quick to look back at the decision that Adam and Eve did, which obviously was very impactful in the worst way possible, but why don't we look and see what Abraham, the act of faith, the ability to respond to what God had called him to do, why don't we see the significance of that on the same level? You see, if Abraham is the father of faith, it means that there is something that he is walking in that is going to be passed down to the next generation. That there is an inheritance that comes from being the son of the father, the father of faith. That in the same way that when we look at the, the book of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11, and it says, in him, in Jesus, we have obtained an, an inheritance that we need to understand that we have also received an inheritance, spiritually speaking, through the act of what Abraham did and the act of faith that it was on the earth. 
There was a faith that was displayed that took way more than it took for Adam and Eve to eat that apple. And yet we minimize what Abraham did and we maximize what Adam and Eve did. You see, Jesus was born in the lineage of Abraham. Abraham, David, Solomon, a few others that are notable, and Jesus comes through that line. There is a significance to this. Because when Jesus went to the cross, when he went and he died for our sins, he paved the way and opened the door for an inheritance that could only come through the Spirit of God. But we have to know this truth. We have to receive the the, the truth of the promise of what has been done. We are called to walk in the faith of Abraham. Now this does, does not mean for a second that we are not called to still walk in obedience. But what it means is the faith that we are so often in pursuit of that we feel like we don't have has already been made available to us. That we have the ability to tap into something because the father of faith, Abraham, made a decision. I, I, I was joking about this a little bit. But I'm like, I don't think I could have made the decision that Abraham made. And then I realized I don't have to. There was one that went before me in faith that paved the way for the rest of the Hebrew people all the way through, flaws and all, places of mistakes and all, all the things that we see through history, ultimately culminating in the person of Jesus that is now my inheritance. That is now your inheritance. That is now available to each one of us through faith in Jesus Christ, through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. But sometimes we look at life and we think, okay, God's called me to do something. There is a promise. And so we kind of go back and we check our spiritual bank account. We check the reserves. Do I have enough faith? Do I have enough? Do I have what it takes in order to do what God's called me to do? And the answer very often is no. I don't know, but I'm not going to speak for you, but at times we look back and we're like, man, my, my history does not indicate the faith necessary to do the incredible things that God's called me to. But can I say that God doesn't put us here on this earth and say, these are the incredible things I want you to do. Figure it out on your own. Jesus said, I want you to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. And he didn't tell us to do this and then simply leave the scene, walk away, and say, okay, good luck. But sometimes we look at our own account and say, I don't have what it takes, and we lose sight of what has already been made possible for us through Jesus. I was thinking about this a little bit, and I was thinking back to, uh, you know, about 20 years ago, I worked in a job with my dad here, and we worked on, in a company that sold heavy construction equipment. And I was thinking back to it because when I came into this company, I was a high school student. I didn't really know much, so I would sweep the floors, I would paint some walls, I would organize some things, but as I continued to work in this job, I started to be given more responsibility. And so there are times that as I grew in the company, my dad would bring me back and he would say, here's a machine, this is the problem and it needs to be fixed. 
But can I tell you that he never once showed me the problem and then went back to his office and just said, here you go, make it happen. Every time he'd come back and say, well, this is the problem. Here are the tools that you need to be able to fix it. This is what I've done in the past that has worked. This is the function of this thing. This is what you need to do. He would walk with me through the process. And what I recognized that was through that, I was receiving an inheritance of what my dad had experienced, the decisions that he had made that was going to make it possible for me to do what he was asking me to do. When we walk through this earth and and God calls us to do these incredible things, do we understand that God doesn't leave us on our own, but that he walks with us, that he wants to teach us, that he wants to reveal to us, that he wants to speak to us, that he wants to show us things, and that he has already given us everything we need to do what he's called us to do. Our Father in heaven, Jehovah Jireh, our provider, The lineage that we walk in here on earth, Abraham, the father of faith, we have what we need in order to become all that God has called us to become. But will we choose to trust, to believe in what he has said, and to receive what he has said and promised to us in the midst of the contradiction? Will we choose to believe his promise, or will we choose to look at the circumstances and say, I don't think I have what it takes. I don't think this is possible. I don't think it's going to happen. You see, for each one of us, there are always going to be opportunities for us to look at situations and to say, well, I don't think I can make this happen. And and basically we look at ourselves to be our own source. But I want to ask you today, what do you need faith for today? What's the situation that you're walking through that you need the faith to believe that God is going to do something big? Have you recognized in Him that there is more than enough? And have you recognized that there has been an investment made by Abraham thousands of years ago, but more importantly by your Savior, Jesus Christ, to open the doors, to make it possible to walk into something even better than you could ever imagine. You see, the thing about this story and the thing about the blessing of Abraham is all well and good, except for that the blessing of Abraham was only meant for the Hebrew people. It was only meant for his physical descendants and those that would come after him. But then we read this really cool passage in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 through 29. It says, For in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. What has God promised you today? What has God spoken into your life? And if you don't know what it is, I want you to start to ask the question. God, what are you speaking? What is the future that you have for me? What are some of the things that I have laid down in the past because I didn't think they were possible? 
What are some of the things that I looked at and I've given up on because they just don't seem like they're going to happen because I don't have what it takes? What's the contradiction that's staring you in the face? But more importantly, what has been made available, available to you through the person of Jesus? Can I tell you today that the faith that you need, it's there. That the provision that you need, it's there. That the healing and the reconciliation that you need, it's there. I can't tell you when it's going to happen. I can't tell you what it's going to look like. I can't tell you all the details surrounding it, but I can tell you this, that we serve a God who is faithful to what he has promised. And because he is our father, we know that we can trust in him and his power and his power and the power of his spirit that dwells and lives within us. I want to ask if our worship team would come up this morning. I want to ask if you would stand with me here today because I want to pray with you. I want to believe for what God is not just saying, but has said before you even took your first breath here on earth. I want us to recognize that there has been a place of promise, but there also have been times where the enemy has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. To take away the promise that God has spoken. To make us to look at the circumstances and the situations, to doubt and to question what he has said. But today I believe that we are living in a time that as we recognize, just as God said to Abraham, I know that you don't see the results of your promise, but come out and look up. Come out and look up. Look at what I am doing. Look at the stars of the sky. Look at the fact that I am greater than you could ever imagine, that I am the one who created heavens and earth, that I am the one responsible for bringing the promise that I made to you to pass. Will you simply trust in me? Will you say yes and walk in obedience because I have something that is greater? I have something for you that is greater than even what you've lost up to this point. That what the enemy meant for evil, I'm the one who can use it for good. That the time that has been stolen away, or at least the time that you feel like has been wasted, God has been using and will continue to use. 